watching online today. Happy 4th of July. Come on, y'all. Man, what a great time. Happy birthday, America. You don't look a day over 200. I mean, it's a lot of fun. I was thinking whenever I was preparing this message, I was like, I know I've like preached leading up to a holiday, but I don't think I've ever preached on a holiday. And I think July 4th is a really special one. I think it's like the only holiday it's socially acceptable to eat a burger, a brat, and a steak all on one plate all at one time. <laughs> That's a magical thing, but we know why we do it. We all need that energy later to keep our neighbor's dog barking while we shoot bottle rockets till midnight. I mean, who else is going to shoot fireworks into their yard if I don't stay up and do it, right? They're welcome. <laughs> but it's fair to say that July 4th is just a fun holiday, man, when we remember being a nation, we remember our independence. And if there's any word, any word at all, that is synonymous with July 4th, it's probably freedom. And, and this would have been the perfect, like, spot in the experience to where, like, I would hold out my arm, and we would have an eagle fly in and land on it, and he'd have sunglasses on, like a cigarette hanging out of his mouth. You know, the most American thing you've ever seen, right? But I think we could all say, if there's one thing we think about with the 4th of July, it is freedom. But I don't know if you're anything like me, but sometimes I wake up every day of my life, and I don't exactly feel that free. Like, I don't feel like I experience the freedom I want the way I'd like to. And I'm not talking about masks or shots or anything like that. But I mean, like, I think to myself, it doesn't matter what relationship that I could have with somebody. It's probably going to be disastrous. It's probably not going to work out, right? Or every new month that we experience, we're like, there's, God, there's like never enough at the end of the month. We paid bills. Yeah, we did all that. But did we get to save what we really wanted to? I don't feel like I'm experiencing maybe financial freedom. Or maybe like you wake up every day and you're like, how is this day on repeat from every other day I experience? And I feel like I'm not living out purpose. I feel like I'm not living out my calling. I feel like I'm just waking up and going through the motions. And we feel almost imprisoned. It's not like anything is happening in our lives to actually do that physically, but I'm almost inclined to believe that something's happening up here that makes us feel like we're living in a prison out here. I don't know if you feel like that. I want, I want to share a thought with you, and this might help frame it up a little bit better. You're going to see it come on the screen. It says, what comes into our mind comes out in our life. What comes into our mind comes out in our life. Two alternate ways that you can think about it is our lives are a reflection of our thoughts, right? Toxic thoughts, toxic life. Or maybe our life is moving in the direction of our strongest thoughts, right? Toxic thoughts, toxic lives. And I don't know if you guys feel like this, and I'm going to raise my hand, so I'm going to give you permission to raise your hand, but does anybody feel like every day you wake up, there's like a war going on up here. It's thought versus thought. It's what you know you should do versus what you actually do. And you feel like there's a constant battle going on up here. That is me all day. It is thought versus thought all the time. And I feel like at times I'm losing the war in my mind. And I'm almost inclined to believe maybe if I'm losing the war in my mind, that if what comes into my mind comes out in my life, that if I feel like I'm lonely up here, or if I'm imprisoned up here, or I'm isolated up here, and I'm hopeless up here, maybe that actually does come out some kind of way physically in my everyday 
life. Like maybe we feel like we're never going to be enough. So we wake up every day a victim. Like I'm never going to be enough. I'm never going to have that thing. I'm never going to be able to accomplish that thing in my life. So I'm just going to live with a victim mentality and that comes out in our lives. Or maybe we think to ourselves, I'm unlovable. Maybe we think there's something we've done to estrange ourselves from God or from the people we know and we're ashamed. And we're like, there's no way that God, if I don't love that, there's no way that God can love that. So we literally live like a prisoner every single day to something that actually lives up here. And I want to give you hope. If you raise your hand or if you didn't raise your hand, I want to give you hope. That's not what God intends for us. That's not what he intends for our thoughts. That's not what God intends for our lives because he knows a free you is somebody who is drawing closer to him, whose spirit is living through him, producing fruits that is helping change the world around you. God wants the rescued, redeemed, free version of you. So we have to be able to win the war in our minds. So I want to present a message to you guys today and to everybody joining us online of three steps I think that would help us free our thinking, thus free our lives. Does anybody want to go on that journey with me? Two claps on two if you're ready to go. One, two. All right, let's rock and roll, church. Step one to freeing our minds so we can free our life. Write this down. It's prison break. Step one is prison break. Remember that our lives are a reflection of our thoughts, right? So we have toxic thoughts. We're now experiencing a toxic life. And those things, they don't have our best interest in mind, and we're actually just in prison, right? We're literally walking around feeling isolated, or in fear. And I want to show you a passage of scripture, and we'll kind of, we'll unpack this throughout the day. I think it's really going to help us think about winning the war in our mind. And it's 2 Corinthians chapter 10. We're going to read verses 3 and 4. I'll give you a heads up. My version may be a little bit different, but it's going to be the same truth. 2 Corinthians 10 verses 3 through 4. It says, for though we walk in the flesh, we do not wage battle according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but divinely powerful for the destruction of fortresses. And there's a lot to unpack right here. So we're going to work through this thing. It says, for though we walk in the flesh, right? So for us, that means we live in the natural, right? We can see things. We can experience things. We can touch things. We can smell things. We live in a natural world. It's really hard to think about things that we can't see, right? But it says we don't wage war, we don't wage battle according to the flesh. So even though I live in a very peripherated, natural world, the things that I go to war against, I can't always see. It's psychological warfare. There are things that live up here in my mind, right? The things that we tell ourselves, I go to war with that all the time, that Paul would suggest we go to war with those things. We go to war with Things we can't see like uh, generational habits, right? Grandparents did this, parents did this, now I do this, and I don't even know why I do this. We, we go to war against culture. Not all a culture is bad, but the closer we follow Jesus, we live in this state of tension to where we go, hey, is this thing okay for me anymore? Can I think like this? Can I live like this? We go to war against those things, and our thoughts are our thoughts we're going to war with, they live up here, right? We actually go to war against spiritual entities. Right? There are things that exist in this world that we can't see that don't have our best interest for us, and they have created a world of sin pollution that you and I can easily just get wrapped up in. So though we live in the natural, though we live in the flesh, we don't wage war against things that we can see in this world. For our weapons of our warfare 
are not of the flesh, but divinely powerful. Divinely powerful. There's a word in our Bible uh, in the Greek called dunamis. We get the word dynamite from it, like fireworks, like you guys are going to shoot in your neighbor's yard later, right? That's where we get the word from. Dunamis means explosive. So it says, for the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but they're explosive. They're explosive for the destruction of fortresses. So think about this. It's going to put a bow on this thing. In antiquity, when they would build major fortresses and major cities, they'd be on a hilltop, right? But follow me for a second. Those fortresses aren't just to keep things out. See, when they built fortresses, the walls would actually be the prison system of that entire fortress. So it's not just to keep stuff out. That fortress is also designed to keep stuff in. So let's do it one more time. For though we live in the natural, we do not wage battle according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the natural. They're divinely powerful. They're explosive for the destruction of prisons. For the destruction of prisons. So what are we going to do with all this information? You and I, don't tell the guards right now, we're about to make a run for it. We're about to break out of these mental prisons that we're locked in inside of our heads. But we need something explosive, right? We need something explosive. We need something divinely powerful. We need God's word in our lives. We need our Bible and our scripture. We need God's truth, the things that he says about us in our Bible. We need God's spirit, his presence literally living in us and helping us live out our lives. I want to give you guys a Jesus story really quick that might help us think about this and maybe what we can learn from it in a really quick Jesus story. So early in Jesus' ministry, um, he took some time and he went into the desert to fast and to pray and to be alone. And what he really wanted to do was align himself with the mission that God was giving him, the ultimate rescue mission of all time, and it has to do with me and you, right? So Jesus is in the wilderness. He's alone. It's just him and his thoughts. And three times it says he's approached by the Satan. So Satan's not a name. It's a title. It means deceiver. Jesus says in John 8, 44, that Satan's the father of all lies. So imagine this. Jesus is by himself with nothing but his thoughts, the Satan comes along, he starts planting seeds of things into Jesus' mind. He says, well, you don't have to do this. You could easily jump off this rock and your angels would catch you. You could turn all this stuff into food if you want to. And every time, every time Satan is planting something in Jesus' mind, Jesus says a single piece of scripture back to him, and Satan has to leave. Right? Why is that? It's because God's truth, what he gives us, is powerful. It is extremely powerful. We can learn from the Jesus story and apply those exact same things today. Whenever those thoughts are trying to lock us up and that turns out into something in our lives, we could say the exact same thing. We can quote scripture and truth right back to our deceiver, right? Whenever we hear, well, there's just not enough time in the day. I can't get it all done. Oh, my God, that's me all day, right? Who else says that? Don't make me feel bad. Camera, you don't know this, but there are thousands of hands all over the room right now. <laughs> I'm saying that not feel bad. No, we say we can't get it all done. No, no, no. I am more than a conqueror through Jesus, right? Maybe we have a bad self-image of ourselves when we say, I don't look pretty enough or I don't like what I see in the mirror. No, 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 no. I am fearfully and I am wonderfully made. We say I'm miserable. No, I'm not miserable. The joy of the Lord is my strength. He's unchanging. I might be changing. He's unchanging. The joy of the Lord is my strength. When we deal with thoughts of lust, 
We have to say, no, no, no. The Bible says that even though I'm presented with this, God will give me a way out. I don't have to click anything. We quote scripture back. To break out of our prisons, we need something explosive. We need the truth, the word, and we need the spirit of God in our lives. Step one, prison break. Step two, we need to take back our minds. So we've used God's explosive truth to say things about ourselves and look at our life in a different way, and we're breaking out of the prisons, those things that have bound us that actually come out in our day-to-day life. Toxic thinking, toxic life, right? But here's the catch. We're not breaking out just to get into cruise control, right? We're not in survival mode. Like, I think so many times in life, we go through life, and we actually don't play to win. We just play not to lose. You know what I mean? I don't think the goal in life is to not die. I think the goal in life is to be fully alive. Jesus said that he come to give life and life to the full or life more abundantly. We're to live fully alive because fully alive people look like something. So once we break out of that prison, we're not home free yet. We still have some thoughts we have to deal with, right? And so I want to move into 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 5 and 6, so the next two verses. It says, we are destroying arguments of all arrogance raised against the knowledge of God. And we are taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ, and we are ready to punish all disobedience wherever your obedience is complete. Same approach. Let's keep breaking this down for a second. Right? So we use God's explosivity in our life to break out of those prisons. We're destroying things. We're becoming free. But now we've got incoming thoughts, right? We're we're not dealing with what we were, but we're still not in the clear. It says that we're to take every thought captive. And we don't always get there in the English the way we do the Greek and the Hebrew and some of the original translations of a lot of our scriptures. But this sentiment behind this word, taking a thought captive, means that I take that thought at spear point. Like that thought is taken at weapon point and it has to pass the Jesus test. It has to pass the Jesus test. So what if it doesn't, right? Bad thought in my head, doesn't really pass the Jesus test, what do we do with it? This scripture, we have full permission to kill that thought. It says we're destroying arguments against arrogance raised against God's truth, right, the knowledge of God. And it says that we're to make thoughts obedient to Jesus. If that thought is not obedient to Jesus, spotter ready, shooter ready, go ahead and go for it. You have full-blown permission to kill that thought. So you're probably asking yourself, well, what's the Jesus test? How would I know if a thought measures up against the Jesus test? I want to show you a a scripture I think is going to be insanely helpful for you. It is Philippians 4.8. Philippians 4.8. And that scripture says, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence and if anything worthy of praise Think about these things. Man, that's the Jesus test for our thoughts right there, right? I I don't know if you guys are like me. I love that really clean, just itemized list of ways that I can check these idiotic thoughts that enter in my head against what the Bible actually says, right? It has to be honorable. It has to be pure. It has to be lovely, commendable, excellent, and praiseworthy, right? So if that thought that comes in my head is not honorable if it shames somebody, if it's degrading towards somebody, I have full-blown permission to kill it. Like, it, It's going to put me right back in that prison 
It's a toxic thought. It will result in a toxic life. I have full-blown permission to kill that thing, right? If it's not pure, if that, if that thought that's entering in my head is lustful and it's compromised, I, have, I, I literally can kill it. And Jesus, when he talks about lust, is really interesting. He ratchets everything up. He says if you even think about it, it's practically the same as doing it, right? So we got full-blown permission to kill that thought before it takes root in our lives. It has to be lovely. If that thing repulses you, kill it. You don't have to think about it, right? Commendable. If it compromises your character, the thing you've got at the end of the day, you don't have to give that thought weight. You don't have to let that thought live in your head. It says excellent. So if that thought isn't like lives up to the integrity you want for your life, kill it. You don't have to have it. Praiseworthy. If you would be, how about this one? If you would be ashamed if you followed through with the thing you were thinking about, kill it. Like, why would you let that thing live? Why would you let that thing exist? So if we're going to take back our minds, if I had to rename that point, it would be like turn the tide of war, right? Go from, go from defense to offense. If we're really going to be able to take back our minds, we have to take those incoming thoughts captive, and we have to pit them against the Jesus test. That's the best thing we can do. So step one, we're going to break out of those prisons, right? We're going to use God's explosive truth, its word, his spirit living in us to break three of the things that are binding us. Thus, we're not bound in this life. And now we have a way to think about the rest of the stuff we're dealing with. It has to pass the Jesus test or full-blown permission to kill it. So step three, step three, this entire process to freeing our mind, to free our life, is to stay frosty. Stay frosty online. What does stay frosty mean? Stay frosty is just an expression that means be situationally aware of incoming threats. Situationally aware of potential incoming threats. So we took a moment in this experience to reference a Jesus story where he's going into the desert to prepare himself for ministry, get centered with God, right? Well, in Luke's account, the last thing that Luke leaves us with in that entire story is the third time that Jesus rebukes the devil using scripture, it says, the devil departed awaiting for an opportune time to return. If he's doing it to Jesus, you better believe he's going to do it to us. What is an opportune time to you? Is it when you're alone and you're the only one dealing with this stuff up here, right? Is it at the end of the night? Is it at the beginning of the morning? Is an opportune time when you've already said something hurtful to someone else and now this thing is just spinning up here? The deceiver, the father of all lies, is waiting on an opportune time to plant a thought in your head that puts you right back in the prison you just left. But we can do something about that. We can stay frosty because that's not what God intends for us. I want to read you Romans 12.2. It's a very famous piece of scripture. I think you'd even be familiar with it. It says, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you can prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect, right? Do not be conformed to this world. The word world means age. So like, don't be conformed to the things that you experience in your life, right? Don't be conformed to those things, but be transformed by the renewing, doing a hard reboot often, be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you can prove what the will of God is, which is what good, acceptable, and perfect. Sounds like the Jesus test again, right? That whenever we say no to incoming thoughts and we check them against the Jesus test, 
we're living a stay frosty life because we're renewing our minds. We're constantly measuring things up against, well, what does Jesus say about this? What does the Bible say about this? What do I need to do in respect to this? And I wanted to give you two ways I think would be helpful to stay frosty. They mean a lot to me, uh, and I think they're going to help you stay frosty in your life. And the first one is we need to have a really close relationship with God, and you're like, okay, you're a pastor, you get paid to say that. But no, I really, really mean, like, we need to be in community with God. I want to share a thought with you. Dr. Caroline Leaf is a neuropsychologist, and she did a study, and she proposes that 12 minutes of focused prayer a day over the course of eight weeks would change the landscape of your brain so much it would be noticeable on a brain scan. Just 12 minutes. And I don't know if y'all are like me, but one of them prayers can't be, you know, as you're falling asleep and you're, you know, you're just rattling stuff off and then the next thing you know it's the next day. Not one of those prayers, right? Focused prayer. What is focused prayer? It is just time with you and God. And maybe some of the best time spent in focused prayer is not where you're doing all the talking and asking for stuff, right? So we allow God to deposit things into your life. We can stay frosty whenever we have a close relationship with God and we pray to him and we can learn what he wants for our lives. It's just open, honest dialogue. I think one of the other great ways and the second way that we can stay frosty is not just being in community with God, but let's be in community with other people as well. Our Bible has like jam-packed, crazy things to say about what, that we're just not designed to do life alone. It says incredible things. It says like that being a community is like a three-stranded cord. It's hard to break. It says that we can pray for one another and be healed. It's power in community. We get to share our struggles together. We get to share prison break together. Dr. Henry Cloud, he, he teaches a lot on stress and anxiety and thinking, and he uh, used a really great illustration from a study performed to kind of talk about what it looks like to experience stress in this thing up here in community. He references a study where they took this like single lone monkey and they put him in a cage. And they had a bunch of flashing lights and a bunch of noise. And he experienced it for, I don't know, some period of time. And they took him out and they measured the cortisol level in his blood, which is like your stress hormone, right? Got a baseline. Well, then they let him take his buddy, other monkey, into the cage with him, go through the exact same thing. They checked both their blood to realize that both of them combined didn't even have the level he had by himself. All that to say is we're not designed to experience stress alone. It's, we're not designed to break through this thing alone. We're meant to do that in community with God. We're meant to do that in community with others. Our Bible says that the devil, the Satan, he's like a roaring lion roaming around looking for whom he can devour. Here's another science lesson for you. Guess what sheep doesn't get eaten from that roaring lion? The one that's in the middle of the herd, right? The one that gets eaten is the one that's self-isolating, hanging out on the periphery, who's by themselves, right? And that's why life groups are important. And that's why being a part of a local church body is important. That's why hopping online is important because those things help us stay frosty whenever we embrace being in community with one another, sharing our burdens. Yo, I can't tell, tell you how many times, and we're very fortunate to get to do ministry and to get to pray with people and to help people out with their struggles. I can't tell you how many times I've talked to somebody who doesn't have that person. Maybe in the worst, the people they do have are kind of in the same boat they are, you know, which really doesn't help you out much. So 
This is about getting around life-giving people who want you to break out of those prisons and they want you to live just a transformed life. So remember, step one, we're going to break out of those prisons in our life. We're going to use God's explosive truth, the things that he says about us that we can read, to be able to get out of those prisons that actually end up being like prisons in real life that we experience, even though we can't see them. Right? We're going to take back our mind. We're going to turn the tide of war. We're flipping from defense to offense. We're going to take every thought captive, and we're going to stay frosty. We're going to be in community with God, focused prayer, and we're going to be in community with others. Was this helpful to somebody in here today? Y'all, if it wasn't for y'all, it blessed me. I needed it bad. This really helps me. I want to give you a, a really simple step of faith you can take if you're physically attending or if you're attending our online campus, this could not be an easier step of faith to take. I would love to invite you to join yours truly on a seven-day Bible reading plan. Uh, today's message was uh, largely inspired by a book called Win the War in Your Mind by Pastor Craig Rochelle. And I've got an amazing seven-day Bible reading plan we can all do together just by texting the word Bible to the number on the screen. And we can all do that as a family. Uh, it was incredible, and it's really helping me think a lot about what goes on up here. But the next step of faith that I like for all of us to take together is just to pray. And I love not just to pray like for you, but I actually love to pray with you, everybody here, and everybody watching online right now. So wherever you're at, I invite you to bow your head right now just to have a solemn moment of God, one of those focused moments that we talked about where it's just us and God right now. Maybe you've heard today's message and you're thinking to yourself like, I, 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 I understand what I'm hearing it makes a lot of sense, but I don't know if I've ever formally entered into a relationship with a Jesus that we talked about who can overcome these things and who loves me so much. He died in my place to make me fully alive. He did not die to make me better. He died to make me fully alive, and a fully alive person looks like something and is a world changer. If you've heard that message today and you're like, I want to enter into a relationship with Jesus for the very first time in my life, would you be bold enough if you're physically in the room just to momentarily lift your hand? I'm not asking for you to hold it up. This isn't a workout that you're doing at the gym. Just briefly hold your hand up because we just want to put a clipboard in there. It's going to help us get a little bit of information from you. If you're online today, we'd love to invite you to text the word CONNECT to 803-205-2487 to make that same declaration because we'd love to walk the step of faith out with you. Before we conclude the message and as people are making decisions for Jesus online and had the opportunity in the room, I also want to pray for somebody who said, I heard today's message, and dude, please help pray for me to win the war in my mind because I feel like I'm losing it. I feel like I am living out of physical prison. Even though I cannot see the walls, I cannot see the bars, I feel like every day all freedom is lost. I have no sense of taking a thought captive, and I have no one to walk us out with me. If you've heard anything I just said, and that seems like you, man, would you just be willing just to put your hand up physically in the room? I've got mine up. That's me. There's a lot of stuff that I'm wrestling with through this. Man, I'm glad I'm not the only one in the room today. Can I pray for all of us as a family? God, thank you so much for your word. Your word is timeless. It is true. It is explosive. And as we wrestle with it, and it becomes a part of our life, God, that you begin to transform us from the inside out. God, we pray for each and every person who is like, man, I heard this today and I am literally walking and living in one of these prisons. God, would you begin to just make your explosive truth come to life in a way that it never has before, that people know 
that you died to rescue them. They know they're redeemed. They know that this is not the best it will ever be. Their best is still yet to come. God, would you help break through those prison walls? God, would you also give us just the mental clarity and fortitude to fight off every incoming thought that comes in our mind? We could make it captive, God, and we could find out, is this what you truly want for us? God, give us boldness to believe in your truth and to make every thought bow to you. God, I also pray for just the ability to renew our minds every day and to look at every day in a fresh way. God, I pray for closer community with you. I pray that we can all approach you like sons and daughters that you see us as to you. But God, I pray that we can look at each other like brothers and sisters and we can share our burdens together. God, because I know that whenever we become free and your spirit fills us, that we become world changers, God. So I pray for each and every person physically attending today and attending our online campus, that those things become true and alive in our life. And it's in your name I pray. Amen. Amen. Church, it's been a pleasure. I want to wish you a happy 4th of July. If you're physically here, grab sparklers, grab a snow cone on your way out. We love you. Everybody, let's go change the world. Yeah.